success is contagious, how to think, fail, and grow at record speed. And, yeah. and actually what's interesting is it applies like, you know, basically viral growth principles to people. And so it's all about how do you go viral in your own life? How do you accelerate mm-hmm. your career? How do you become a thought leader faster? Uh, how do you uh, gain experiences at a faster rate and go outside your comfort zone? Why is that valuable? Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a QA and a every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 209 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex Chisnell. On today's show, I welcome Ben Kaplan, a former college dropout who built a $14 million business in just 13 months. He's also the founder and CEO of PR Hacker, a top 100 PR company in the US and the fastest growing viral company in the world. He's featured on over 2,000 TV and radio shows, so I'm not feeling too special. And those include the likes of Oprah, Good Morning America. Ben is regularly featured worldwide throughout the media on things such as how to spread ideas, how to build an audience for your YouTube channel, your thought leadership platform, your worthy cause, or your new product launch. As well as guesting on this podcast, Ben will be over in the UK this April, speaking at the Festival of Enterprise at Olympia in London on April the 28th and 29th. You can join Ben, myself, and a whole host of awesome speakers for free by going to festivalofenterprise.co.uk to get your free ticket. Would love for you to join myself and the rest of the Screw It Just Do It community there. This is our twice annual event. The other one is going to be the NEC in Birmingham, which is October the 7th and 8th, I think, off the top of my head. On today's show, Ben and I chat about viral velocity, how to think or fail at record speed, calendar marketing, and how to sell. Let's start up. So tell me, um, so my, my nephew is just going to Princeton. He's just um, won a scholarship to, uh, to Princeton for, for his rowing. He just came Oh, up amazing. Fifth. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So he, he came up fifth in the World Championships, Junior World Championships in Tokyo. So he was... Okay, so, so he's a fair rower. He's, he, he's all right. Okay, good. He, he's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like recruited by... 
um, you know, Cal Barkley, Yale, you know, all the, all these guys and, um, sure. you, did, you know, a whole tour of the universities and, and love Princeton and but yourself, you, you trained at, at Harvard, um, and, and tell yes. me a little bit about, um, what your first steps were afterwards. Cause I know you've published a whole number of books, but you, you published one straight after university. Was that right? Uh, that's right. I, I wrote a, a book called how to go to college almost for free. And in, in the U.S., colleges is university, kind of the same thing. So how to go to college almost for free. And um, it was based on my experience in, in winning two dozen scholarships worth $90,000. And I went to Harvard for free by getting money from like Coca-Cola and Tylenol and Discover Card and all of these companies and, associ- and associations and nonprofits. And uh, and you know, was the kid who hustled around and paid for school with all these scholarships. And, and I learned a lot about marketing because um, at the time I was like, oh, maybe I should write a book about how I did this. And I, I kind of tried to like reach New York publishers and, and no one really wanted it at the beginning. And so I said, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to self-publish this book. And you have this experience of, you know, boy, it's like really hard to write a book and, and it takes a long time and you write this book and, and scraped up enough money to print 5,000 copies of the book. And I only had that money because I didn't have to pay for school. So the little money I had for school went to, went to print the book. And then 5,000 you know, copies of the book get, get delivered to your parents' garage. And so that's, that's 5,000 books. I know this is three pallets. So three pallets of books. And basically they can't park in their garage anymore. And so they have to park outside. And you're like, oh no, How, what have I done? How do I give these books a home? Yeah. And so my journey in marketing started with like, okay, you know, I've got to move 5,000 books. How do I do it? How yeah. can I add time triggers or start viral marketing? But it all starts with kind of my personal story of, of affording college, paying for college, um, did not, was not a world-class rower. So had to hustle around and find a way to do it. <laughs> and, and in, um, you know, tw- 20 years, um, that have passed since then, how many people do you think of, um, found out about the book it must be a ridiculous number in 20 years yeah we, we we've had a chance that you know there, there there's been you know 2.5 million copies of the books uh sold uh no around way. the world so, wow. so it became it was one of the you know one of the rare self-published books that became kind of a a, a viral bestseller and, and i actually ended up you know self-publishing that sold that book and, and, and another book to uh harper collins which is a big new york publisher yeah, at the yeah. time it was yeah at the time it was mm-hmm. the you know, the largest book deal ever for, a, for a, you know, sort of a, a first time non-celebrity author. And, um, and that became my, my launch into, you know, sort of the, the book became the business card uh, of doing a lot of other stuff. But, but also um, what's great, and I, I just really encourage any entrepreneurs, you know, listening to have the experience of moving something physical like selling something physical, like, and, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm a pretty digital first person, right? Social first person. I do a lot in like virality. So I move a lot of digital things now, but mm. the cool thing about, about having to sell or market something physical is it, it causes a discipline where like, it, it's not just good enough. Someone kind of hears about it and like, you know, clicks on something. It's like, you've got to get people, you've got to build distribution for this. You got to get this thing to move. And so what's cool is that, you know, when I self-published the book, uh, there was no, uh, you know, no bookstore carried it. I kind of had to start from scratch. So I started learning how to do, you know, all of these kind of marketing and viral marketing techniques that would have to cause someone to, to walk into a bookstore. I mean, yeah, they could buy it online, but also walk into a bookstore, Mm. ask for the book. They would not have the book, but if enough people asked for it, they would carry the book. And I use that to, to sort of 
build up distribution. So it's a, it's a super good discipline. And later when I had a PR agency and everything else, what it was, it was a, such an advantage because um, most PR agencies are like, yeah, we want to get you broad awareness. We want to get you impressions. But mm. I sort of built my agency on, you know, we don't want awareness and impressions. Like we got to get someone to walk into a bookstore and ask for something and get them and get it there and get them to take it out with them. And sort of adds a different discipline on the kind of like viral and emotional triggers you need to accomplish that. So it's almost like you, you, you went to school, got, got an education, but then um, getting that, those books published, you know, just layer upon layer of, of extra curricular education on top of that in the real world. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and so, so it, it's great to kind of have the experience and, of, of having to, you know, create something from, from, from nothing. And, and, mm-hmm. I, and I learned a lot about, um, uh, you know, important principles that would, that, that you learn that would become like tenants of like later marketing work that I would done. So for instance, one of the first things I learned from the very beginning from having to market a book was that I would, you know, pitch all of these, you know, kind of media outlets because early on I didn't have any kind of marketing budget. I was, you know, reliant on earned media that I could get for free. And I learned early on that like, oh, you know, if I optimized my pitch time, like if I, if I pitch this, you know, CNBC producer at 4.32 a.m. in New York, no one else was pitching him or her. And I got like through right away. And I started like, oh, if I track what is the best time of day and day of the week to pitch one, I could have higher conversion rates. So that later became one of the core tenets of, of PR hacker, PR, a global PR agency I found. It was like, let's track the conversion time of all of, you know, of 750,000 journalists worldwide to know what's the best time of day and day of the week to pitch wow. one. And that just yeah. came out of necessity from having to try to figure it out in, the, in a book. And then the other, mm. you know, I learned another thing was like, oh, I would try these different headlines, the pitch stories, you know, to pitch a new, you know, put on the morning, sh- you know, morning show or breakfast TV about the story about how to pay for college. And I would test all of these different headlines. And so I would A-B test them. And I'd say, oh, you know, it worked a lot better when I used, you know, this phrase about, you know, it, it's, you know, countdown to financial aid season. That worked better because it had a time trigger than this other phrase. And so later on, when I had an agency, I was like, oh, we became the first agency that would like A-B test pitch headlines, like, you know, mm. eight different headlines to see what would convert best. And so even from those early days, I didn't really know what I was doing, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you like try a lot of stuff. And if mm. you're kind of like a critical thinker and you're, you're willing to test and learn and fail and then learn fast, like really iterate fast, then it, it became the basis of a lot of stuff later, even though at the time it was just pure experimentation. And, and at the time when you, when you came out of university, did you have a, I'm always interested in this, do you have a clear idea of what path you wanted to take or did, uh, you know, launching your, your agency um, come organically through those other experiences that you had along the way? You know, I, I didn't really have that. What I, what I thought I wanted to be, and, and, and this is the, the, the precursor of the book a little bit, I, I w- thought I wanted to be a syndicated political columnist. I wanted oh. to be a writer. And so when you're a writer, what, like the pinnacle of being a columnist is like get an article published in the New York Times. Mm. At least, you know, you grew up in the US, that, that's what it is. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, was, I was actually, you know, trying to pitch the New York Times on why like during college, a 19-year-old or 20-year-old kid should write a political column for the New York Times. They did not see the value of having <laughs> that little experience write the column, but they did you know, hear about my story about, you know, I was trying to pitch them columns. I said, Hey, I could write a column about, you know, winning all these college scholarships. I won. They actually loved that. And I ended up 
writing a kind of a, a, a front page column called How to Go to Car Harvard for Free. That was the precursor to the book. And that just became from doing that. So I thought I wanted to be a writer. Um, and, and, and I didn't realize that, that, oh, suddenly all of these things I would do on how to kind of pitch my book was actually useful for a ton of other companies. And I didn't realize that until I was eventually a, um, the, the pitch trainer for a program called Startup Chile in Santiago, Chile. And yeah. I went down to, to Santiago mostly because to do something different, do something in a language I didn't know, uh, Spanish, yeah. sort of disrupt myself. Because at that point, I had sort of mm -hmm. built some businesses and was doing kind of well. And, then, and I said, let's do something totally outside of my comfort zone and ended up you know, having startups there from 75 countries around the world. They were all in Chile. And I became the one who would like, they'd come to my sessions and they would you know, um, present their pitch deck. I'd sort of critique it, watch them verbally present you know, their, their, their pitch and give them feedback. And, and the precursor to all the agency work was basically a lot of those companies were super early stage. And I said, hey, you know, we should do a quick media campaign for you to get some users, get some traction. It'll make it easier to raise money from investors. And mm -hmm. I knew how to do that because I did all of this media campaigns for my books. I had done 5,000 yeah. TV and radio interviews in just a few years. And so started helping these companies around the world. And um, they were able to raise millions of dollars. They told their friends back home, this is the guy you talk to who helps huh. them get on TV, to get users, to raise millions of dollars. And so pretty soon I started getting probably 15 to 20 inquiries a week. Can you help us with our startup? And then after I got enough of those and, and, and started doing it, I was like, huh, what do we have here? Maybe this is an agency. And that was the start of PR Hacker, which later became uh, Top Agency, which stands for Test Optimized Performance. Okay. And um, at that point, were you thinking by getting featured um, TV, radio, and print that that was a tactic you, you, that you'd thought out to, to grow, influence, be perceived as a thought leader? Or was it just part of that journey at the stage when you, you were still, you know, a young man? Well, at the, at the very beginning, it was just like, you know, pure awareness and relevance, right? Just like, yeah, yeah. like know who I am, know what the book is. It wasn't even, I think, as well thought out as like thought, thought leader or thought leadership. <laughs> it was just like, it's just like, let someone know who I am yeah. at the beginning. And then later, and then what I learned from that, it sort of evolved. Because then I started realizing like, wow, if I went on, you know, CNN, you know, I could drive a hundred thousand people to my site in a day mm. and sell, you know, 10,000 courses in the day. And I was like, okay, well that's pretty cool. So I started uh -huh. learning how to, so then it started to evolve into like more of a, a sales purpose. And then it continued to evolve because then, you know, you, you do well enough on CNN and they ask you back and it starts being like, you know, multiple times. So one, that's great for driving sales, but then two, but then two you start thinking about, oh, this is a thought leadership platform. This is a way that, that you can start kind of, you know, building a brand, but then also like developing a relationship with an audience. So it sort of kind of morphs into that. Um, and then where I sort of ended up and netted out now is as I got into more like, how does the mechanics of viral marketing work is there's something that I call the viral circle, which is this sort of symbiotic relationship between mass media and social media. And what happens is you can seed an idea or a concept or a cause or a product on either one social mm -hmm. media or mass media. And if you kind of work the two together, like mass media will cover a social media trend that's breaking. Yep. So if you can make that trend start to break, then you add fuel to the fire when suddenly all these like mass media, like TV, radio, newspapers are covering it. Or you can break something on you know, mass media. They'll cover it. 
And if you, you do it in a way that has a high viral velocity, then suddenly social will pick up on that and they'll just start sharing it out. And if you can get this circle going, this viral circle going between the two, it will just feed one another and you can spread things around the world now at record speed. I mean, you can mm. spread things, you know, and, and it, it, it gets faster every year. I mean, we used to like think that, hey, like something like Gangnam Style was like, you know, the viral yes. like gold yeah, standard, yeah. right? But then yeah. Despacito comes around, you know, mm. kind of like just, you know, Justin Bieber version yeah. of it. And suddenly that spreads four times faster than Gangnam Style, right? And then it keeps getting faster. So that's where I kind of netted up where I think like something like media is, is, is useful in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of companies we help with, we use it for social proof. Like, yep. it's just like, they don't have a ton of customers yet. So the social proof of having like the BBC comment on what you do so, mm. and, 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 and you being able to say that suddenly is a way to, to get that social proof faster. So there's many purposes, but I think where this is all headed is that the world now is a fundamentally smaller place. We are connected in so many ways and it's not just social that virality spreads. You kind of feed the online and offline together. And that's how you can get things to like kind of, kind of, kind of move at, at, at record speed. It's interesting. I had a, uh, a chap on my, um, on this, on this show who, who, I, who I met, um, called Danny, who launched a, which I believe was that the first makeup, makeup range designed specifically for men called war paint, which is a great name. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which I like it. It's a great like name. It. Yeah. Um, and he, before Christmas, um, it literally created a, put something out on Twitter, like they, they, they filmed the video and it, and it had a very masculine looking male on it, you know, really pumped from the gym and, you know, tattoos, like, like, all, like, all this guy. Okay, like, hairy guy, like yeah, a man's man. Like, okay. That's right. And it kind of went the opposite way that they were hoping it would, but, you know, it created this storm on Twitter. But fast forward, because it's interesting what you just said, fast forward to about two weekends ago, and now he literally, over the course of the weekend, he got called into the studios for BBC, Sky. He was in the Telegraph, the Guardian, awesome. the Sunday Times, awesome. all of the broadsheets. And you just think that's like a delayed reaction of the, of the mainstream media, like you say, picking up something that was on social and thinking, wow, there's something in this. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and I think what, it, what is interesting is that right now is that um, there's a lot you can do to with virality that, that kind of breaks through some of the myths and misconceptions that people have. So one of the misconceptions about virality is that um, it's all about like lightning striking in a bottle, meaning like, you know, come up with something brilliant that no one else has seen before, release it and lightning strikes and this thing goes over. Now, it, it sometimes can work like that. But also what we find is that for virality, it's, stacking up multiple contagious stories at the same time through multiple channels. Right. And it, the cumulative effect can get what you want. So we may have tracks that have, you know, a PR track plus an influencer marketing track and a social media track and, you know, more of a digital kind of search content track. And we will get all of those, you know, working with, with content. Our, our formula is, is, is simple plus surprising plus significant equals high virality. So we'll simplify things in each track. We'll make each track more surprising. We'll uh, add to the deeper significance and purpose and the message we're saying. We'll do all of that and you aggregate them together and you can get this cumulative, very, very viral effect. 
and not even every track has to hit as like pure lightning in a bottle. So I think, and even describing you, describing your friend, it's what, what is interesting about virality is it's not so much that lightning has to strike, but you have to coordinate many activities with the time dimension right. to make them coincide at the same time. And that's kind of the, the, the art of it. It's a timing discipline just as much as it's a content discipline. Mm. And how, how would you describe your, your agency now then? And, and how has that changed? Did it start off as like a traditional PR agency or did you, you come in with the, you know, the ideas that you've got now or has that just evolved? Well, yeah, you know, we, st- we kind of started off and, and this is kind of a story how we went from, you know, PR hacker, which is kind of like core PR agency. And then we became nine different agencies that are all part of the, the top agency network. So right. starting off with PR, we just felt like it was the, you know, PR at its best has the highest ROI of any marketing discipline. And the reason is, is, is like the, the minute that you like, you know, for like, you know, a paid ad, the minute you stop paying for the ad, the exposure stops. But if you do PR well, you can stop doing stuff and it will just keep going. And so at its best, it's high ROI. At its right. worst, it's like no ROI, right? You're doing all these things. It does nothing. So there's this huge variance. So one, we thought, well, there's like room to do a lot of like really high ROI stuff. Two, it tends to be the least data driven of all the marketing disciplines, right? It's like, oh, I can't measure it real well. It's like mm-hmm. awareness. And so we're like, oh, if we come in and be like the most data driven agency and the least data driven agency, that is white space. That's something yeah, yeah. that we could add a lot of value to. So we kind of start out like that. And then as you get into this like kind of working PR, you start realizing that PR does not mean press release mm-hmm. or media pitch. PR in its purest form is just how do you spread an idea in whatever channel is the best way to spread it. So we mm-hmm. start realizing like, oh, you know, if this idea was encapsulated in a like organic video, like a viral video, like that's PR too. If, if that gets everyone talking and discussing things, that could be PR. Yeah. Or, oh, if we leverage, you know, these kind of, uh, 10 influencers, right? Like these kind of 10 influencers, it's not traditional PR in the, in the, like, let's pitch the newspaper sort of way, but it's like, let's get these 10 people that have a disproportionate share of voice to influence others. And that's PR. And like, mm. oh, well, it's great PR. If you can, you know, uh, you know, find long tail keywords and get people to link to them. And because you create a data study or a data report and and that really increases your awareness. So, so basically, we started spreading into other disciplines, other areas, really the whole marketing stack, um, because um, uh, you know w- we don't care what is the, the the channel that we use. We just want to use the, the best channel. And I think the other thing that that I think is great for anyone who's listening that wants to improve in marketing is that earned media like PR is a super good muscle to become a better marketer, even when you use paid channels. Mm. And what I mean by that is when when you have to, you know, earned media means, you you, you know, it's like there's earned media, there's owned media and there's paid media, right? So earned is like someone else is is featuring you or covering you because you earned it. You provided value. Owned is like your own channels, right? Like like your blog and other, and, 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 and other content, your website, things that you own and then paid you're paying it for. But the cool part about earned media is, you don't get anything unless you provide value. So you learn how to provide value. And the difference is when, when then you go to a paid medium, you're that much better because you can't spend your way outside of problems. And you can't be like, yeah, you know, my content isn't great, but if I just put enough money behind it and boost it enough, 
it will get an audience. I'll get some kind of return on it. That'll be enough mm-hmm. to justify to, you know, my team that, that, that we're growing. You know, you can't do that with, with earn. So what happens is you have to make things more simple, surprising, and significant. You have to deliver value and ladder that value to your brand proposition. So it makes you a better advertiser. It makes you a better branding person. It makes you a better content creator. And that's why I think, and I would love to have more marketers start out and like earn capacity and then apply those lessons to all the other tools and channels. Great, great advice. And I'm interested to know, uh, at what stage in a brand's journey do you think that they start looking at engaging the services services of of, a, of an agency? And if we're talking about you know a you know startup, you know only bringing in you know half a million, yet you're going to somebody who's who's now cracked seven figures, multiple seven figures. At what stage in that journey do you think you know when they, every every dollar counts, every pound counts? Sure, I, I think maybe two pieces of advice. I think number one, uh, the biggest, uh, you know, sort of, uh, resource or asset you have as an entrepreneur. And this is same is true of, uh, of me and my agency is, uh, is, is your time. And, yeah. and, 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 uh, sort of related to that is your focus, right? It, it's also not even just pure like ours. It's also, um, just mental bandwidth for what you're thinking about, right? Cause you're thinking about a, you're not thinking about B and C. So what I always, you know, first part is that, and, and this deals with using, whether it's agencies or, or outside resources is that make sure that you are focused and laser focused on the stuff that you can only do mm. first, right? There's aspects of your business where really you cannot outsource that, right? It is so critical and so fundamental to your business that, that you must do it. So, for agencies and marketing, if there are aspects of that marketing and you're, let's say in your special, you know, industry, you're like, okay, this one marketing channel is so critical. I'm the only one, let's say, you know, this industry really, really well. And you've been to every trade show and conference and you know it better than else. You can't, I mean, even though you could outsource it, you can't really outsource that because that's so critical. If that's your key thing, that's your unfair advantage. You've got to do it. Mm. But if it's not, Right. If, if it's not, and yet, you know, maybe you could do PR on your own. Maybe you could do this from this. Maybe you could even do it well, but if it's not your core focus, there's a, a huge opportunity cost and just the mind share cost in that. So, so one, I think where you, you, you do this is, is you kind of have two resources when you're a business or an entrepreneur, you sort of have like kind of your time and focus on one hand, and then you have money on the other. If you are very, very, very money constrained, then you're like, okay, I'm going to put more time and more focus into it. So maybe I'm not going to outsource that yet because the number one thing I care about is preserving money because I don't have that much. Mm. But the minute, and you've just got to recognize this because the problem is with an entrepreneur, you start to form a habit around that, right? You're kind of small and you're like, okay, I don't spend on anything. And then it changes. The situation changes. Now you kind of can spend on stuff. And if it frees you up to focus and find experts who really know it well, it can be super, it can have, you know, a much bigger return on ROI and, and more so even than the, just the individual like agency, let's say more just like freeing you up to focus on what counts that only you can do. But then what's, what's hard is, so maybe I think in your cutoffs, you had zero to 500 K and like 500 K to 5 million. What mm-hmm. happens is maybe people start getting to like, you know, 300, 400, 500 K. There starts to be a little bit of room to get some outside experts, but you're used to operating like you have like, you know, you know, $10 in the bank or you're, you know, you're maxing out your credit cards. Right. And so it becomes hard to shift. And so 
the other thing I would say is that the entrepreneurs who do the best, and that's why, you know, someone like a Mark Zuckerberg is, is, is impressive to me, is that they had to evolve. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, you know, founder of Facebook, you know, what he does now at Facebook side is not the same as he was doing early on no, no. or even yeah. mid range. He had to basically reinvent himself probably in the course of this four or five times. And he was able to learn fast enough to do it. So that's my advice is I don't think there's any hard or fast rule, but I think when you see your business transition, you've got to realize that you've got to keep your time and focus. And when that shifts, leveraging outside expertise, it often has a higher return. That's great advice because that's, you know, one of the most, most common questions that, that I get asked, especially, you know, having spent the last four or five years working with uh, a lot of startups through, through Virgin. Um, and it's those kind of questions as to, you know, when you hand off, when you cede control and, and what you keep, what you own yourself and you, you won't let go of, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting dynamics going on there, isn't there? It, it is. And, and, I, and I think the other thing with, um, with marketing that is important overall is, is I, I do think there needs to be more like testing and learning and experimentation. Mm. And the reason is, particularly if you operate in any kind of like digital or social realm, but, but also just in general, this stuff is changing fast. The number one skill of a good marketer is not having like the ideal playbook. It's that adapting and shifting your playbook all the time. Yeah. So the, the one thing you've got to do is you've got to kind of like, if you're going to do more of this yourself, you've got to kind of be an ongoing student of marketing. You can't be like, yeah, I took the course in marketing. I've got it. Now I just mm -hmm. implement. No. So if you're going to do it, make the commitment that like you're going to keep developing like kind of strategies and tactics and testing. And, and it's more about kind of the growth mindset, which is a mindset around experimentation mm -hmm. and learning. And, and, if, and if you don't either A, don't have that or B, feel like, yeah, like I'm operationally working on my business. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get my product manufactured or I'm just trying to get like, the website up and you're not sort of prepared to be a, a, a student or an experimenter in marketing, then either find someone who is prepared, bring them in house, hire them as a contractor or find a great agency that thinks with this growth mindset. And the way you tell if someone or an agency has a growth mindset is you ask them, like ask them about an experiment they did ask them about learning. They did not that they were like perfect out of the gate, but what is something they optimized? What is something they tested? What did they gain? And if, if, they, if they can rattle off specifics right away and, and, and do that, that's good. They have a growth mindset. They're constantly getting better. If yeah. they don't do that, then they better be the world's expert in a field that isn't changing because they're not going to be able to keep up. So that's how you tell if you have someone or an agency like that. And, and that's the fundamental question. I don't think we focus enough on that. Mm, very, very good. Um, and look, I know you're busy traveling. Um, and last question for you, Ben, before you go is, um, leading up to people coming to see you speak at the festival of enterprise in the UK. Um, I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. And it's going to, it's going to, it's going to happen quicker than we know it. It's going to move quickly. This, this year is moving quickly already. So, um, what kind of things, um, can people expect to hear you, you talk about maybe just say a couple of things. Okay, sure. Well, one uh, kind of key theme that I'm excited to share is is actually really relevant to anyone who has to has to has to sell anything, which is a lot of us. Which is, yeah. How do you accelerate your sales cycle? 
Um, some people have, you know, are in industries where it's like, yeah, it takes a long people time for people to size or, uh, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, boy, I'm playing the long game here or whatever industry. I mean, long for you could be a year, but long for you for also be two weeks if you've got to drive action now. So we're going to talk a lot about how do you um, use things like building up social proof to accelerate the sales cycle, using time triggers that cause people to act now using um, other parts of, the, of, of the, the calendar to um, align drive periods with your sales cycle to get more mind share, more attention. And also, how do you stay top of mind? So when someone is finally at that moment, you know, they come back to you instead of you having to always uh, chase after them. So that's one thing right. I'm super excited about. Um, and, and then second thing is um, that, that I think it will be interesting is how do you make your products and your services and your causes incrementally more viral. And what I mean by that, by incrementally is that people hear viral and they're like, yeah, I, you know, I have a, you know, I have a, like an enterprise ad tech company, or I have something that, 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 you know, that has nothing to do with, you know, dog and cat videos. Can I be viral? And what we're going to talk about is actually the viral formula, which involves, we talked a little bit about like, you know, simple, surprising, and significant. How do you do that and use that formula across all of your marketing not that you have to have 20 million shares of your cat video, but how do you make your message that more sticky with your audience, whether that's B2B or B2C? How do you get that idea to move through an organization faster, to get buy-in from stakeholders who have to buy in? You know, how do you, um, in your marketing, know if you know, this message will resonate with your audience or it's just going to go over their head or they're not going to understand. So we're going to talk about that. And so it, it's a great topic because I think when you actually apply virality in a more broader way, it makes all of your marketing more effective. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing about that myself. And I'm, I'm sure uh, the rest of the audience listening uh, will be as well. Um, so look, thank you so much for your time. Um, the weekend is, is starting. Um, it's, it's Friday. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man and look forward to, to meeting you in person um, and having a good chat in, uh, in April. Yes, sound, sounds great. Thanks so much, Alex. Looking forward to it. No problem. Thanks a lot, Ben. So hope you enjoyed that. Um, if you'd like to meet Ben in the flesh, along with myself, and all the other awesome speakers that we've got at the Festival of Enterprise, likes of Alan Barrett from Grenade, Camilla Ainsworth from The Apprentice, to name just uh, a couple of my personal favourites. Registration is now open. It's completely free. Two days, April 28th and 29th, day before my birthday. So join me to celebrate. Um, in the evening, of course, going to be completely and utterly professional during the two days. Um, but yeah, got some amazing speakers. Ben's flying over from the US to, to join us. Um, so you could really learn a lot, I think, having spent an hour with him on the phone, um, you know, chatting about things like how to spread ideas by going viral. Now, it's not luck that these things happen. There's clearly a science behind them. And you can look at Ben, some of these kind of ideas. You're like, I would love to know um, how to go viral by building an audience, for example. Um, thought leadership, all really interesting to me. 
Um, if you've had an experience of something going viral, um, even on a mini level, I'd love to know. Um, I saw one of my um, podcast clients the other day, uh, Jonathan Bowman Perks from the Inspiring Leadership um, podcast, and one of his LinkedIn posts when I would call mini virality, you know, it was um, over a thousand likes, hundreds of comments. Now, that's not a regular thing as far as I can see. So it's learning how to do that. Um, and, you know, by finding out how you did that one post like that and being able to replicate, replicate that is only going to get your message in front of more people, help you to get your ideas across, help more people, grow your community of people. Um, it's fascinating stuff. Um, and how to think, fail at record speed. Um, oh God, I totally agree with this. You know, I've been in that situation where it's taken a while. You want things to fail quickly, um, but you want to be able to learn from that and apply those lessons and then try again. Because the odds are that the first thing you try is going to fail, okay? And that's not, it shouldn't stop you from doing it because you can, you're only going to learn by failing. No one gets it right first time. Absolutely nobody. You know, I always say, look at Richard Branson because everybody looks at the successes, but I was there um, for the launch of Virgin Cola out in South Africa at the time in Joburg. I was at the launch party for that. Where's Virgin Cola today? Where's Virgin Brides, another company? But nobody dwells on those. People focus on the successes. And it'll be the same for you. No one will remember the failures. Only you will. Um, and if you can take something from each one, fail as fast as you can to get to the success as quickly as you can. Um, Calendar marketing, something everybody should embrace. Um, and how, how to sell. So, God, when I launched my first business, I was so scared of selling. I launched um, a website for a company called Not In The Gym, which was an online platform for fitness professionals. And I actually couldn't cope with actually then having the conversations, uh, the phone conversations to actually sign people up for this, the leads that were coming through because people had questions they wanted, um, you know, it was brand new concept, brand new idea. People wanted more reassurance. And um, I ended up employing somebody to do, paying someone to do that because I, I couldn't do it myself. I was fo so focused on the back end. Whereas now I'm totally and utterly confident. And I've worked out that all these years, I'm actually pretty good at selling. I always thought I was rubbish at it, but it actually turns out I'm pretty good at it. Um, and when I had a... Um, sports therapy, uh, personal training businesses. Literally, my my conversion rate was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, it was in the 90s, 90% uh, people converting to buy, you know, from one session to uh, bigger packages that we were selling. So you never know what skills you've got until you try. Uh, it's all about facing your fears, putting yourself, you know, if you feel uncomfortable about something that you're about to do, that should be telling you you're in the right space because you only grow when you are putting yourself out of your comfort zone. And I can totally and wholeheartedly agree with that. So I just wanted to add here that my first podcast launch program course has just finished. Congrats to those students um, who have launched their podcast before the course even ended, um, which is pretty damn impressive. And 
I would just like to say that the second cohort is going to start on March the 2nd. I'm only accepting uh, the first 50 people in again to keep the group small because what I do is I host a weekly live webinar where you get to ask me your questions live and direct and also you have access to a private WhatsApp group to ask me questions during the week as well. Um, If you'd like further information, full details, just go to avid.fm forward slash Alex. That's A-V-I-D dot F-M forward slash A-L-E-X. And full details will be there and how you can join and you'll be given your pre-course homework to get you started. And I'll be with you every step of the way. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.